We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Good morning. We are going to continue our series in the book of Revelation today. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. So we're finally through chapter 2. (laughs) Um, But we are on chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, looking at the church at Sardis, the letter that Jesus wrote to that church. And uh, one of the things we believe about the Bible is that God continues to speak through his word to us today. And so all of the things that Jesus has spoken to these churches um, from antiquity are still applicable to us today. And so that's why we look at Revelation and why we look at what Jesus has said to churches in the past, because we believe that he continues to speak to our churches and to our lives as we do that. And so Revelation chapter 3, read our passage for today, starting in verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, People who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so, Father, we do pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning. Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear what your spirit says to our church, Lord, to the churches around us. And Jesus, we pray that you would speak. As we meet together and we study your word, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us and bring about change in us. God, because we want to be awake. We want to be those that honor you with our lives, with our church, with the ministry that we do with one another. God, we want it to be for your glory and for the good of those around us. So God, we ask for your help this morning, humbly yet boldly. In Jesus' name, amen. Reputation is not always reality. And so one of the things that sometimes it's good to ask ourselves is what what am I known for? What, what are you known for? Um, are, you, are you known for being a good dad? Are you known for being a good husband? Or are you known for being one of the most successful people in your field? Um, are you known for uh, being a loving friend, a, uh, a good shoulder to lean on in times of trouble? Um, what are you known for? And, and, and a better question 
to ask is, are the things that we're known for, are they just a reputation or are they reality? Because we can be known for things that don't actually line up with things behind the scenes in our lives, can't we? We can be known in public um, as, as a good person who does great things and is a leader in the community, or even maybe you're a leader in a church, and, and you can be known for all of these great things, and yet then behind the scenes, uh, your marriage is falling apart, or um, you're struggling with um, some issues that, that you don't even want people to know about. And, and so reputation does not always match reality. And, and, and as we look at our lives and as we look at the life of a church, um, it's the same thing. And so I think back um, to my hometown about a church that I used to go to when I first became a believer. Um, God had just saved me, had just woken me up from my sin and, and turned me towards Christ and forgiven me and, and helped me to see uh, his ways. And and I had just become a believer, I had just trusted in Christ, and I started going to this church in my hometown because it had a reputation. It had a reputation for being the best church around, it had a reputation for being a church that wasn't like the other churches, it had a reputation for being a church that was genuine and authentic and helpful, and so I was all in. I was like, great, that's where I need to be. You know, I want to be around people who are real, and I want to be around people who are authentic and who want to help, and, and I'm in. And so I started going to this church, and, and I mean, man, there were thousands of people there. I mean, they, there, was no, there was no question about the fact that they had had some sort of an impact on our community um, because people just flocked to it. Um, and, and, you know, there were some things that attracted people to this church because it was, a, it was what you would call a seeker-sensitive church. Um, so it was a church that was geared towards reaching people who don't typically find themselves in churches. It was a church that um, had the, the loud music with the flashing lights and all the, all the stuff that, you know, you would think is cool at a concert. Um, and then in a church, it just kind of surprises you if you grew up in a more traditional church. And, and so there were a lot of things that this church was known for, and, and so I wanted to be a part of it. I was thrilled, and, and as a new believer, I just wanted to jump in, and the reality is, is that the reality was different than the reputation. I, I began attending there, and over time, I began to see that though they were known for um, being real and wanting to help people, um, they also often only said the things that made people happy. And, and though they were known for being a really cool place to be, a really cool community to be involved with, um, there was no real relationships. And, and so as I began to see some of these things that were underneath the veneer, the, the, the image that they had had in the community that were not matching up with that, I began to realize that there were some real problems and that I wasn't in this place where I needed to be, where I would be growing in Christ and growing with other believers. And, and I realized that reputation and reality are not the same thing. 
And that's what Jesus is saying to the church at Sardis. He's saying, listen, I know you've got a reputation in your community. You've got a reputation for being the church where people want to be. You've got a reputation for being a church that helps hurting people. You've got a reputation for being a church that loves me. But the problem is the reality doesn't match the reputation. And so Jesus says in, in verse 1 there, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Those are some really serious words. Um, and and they, ought to, they ought to hit home for us. Because Sardis was a church that... Um, in the community, they would have been thought to have been a thriving, um, robust, great church, great, great place to be, and, and yet Jesus, as he evaluates them, he says, I know you have a reputation of being alive, but you're actually dead as a doornail, and that's a problem. Um, when, when Jesus, who's supposed to be the head of the church, looks at your church and says, I know you've got a reputation for this but the reality is it doesn't match the reputation, then there's a serious problem that needs to be dealt with. And so Jesus writes a letter to this church and, and to all the churches since to wake us up from our lethargy, lethargicness and to wake us up to the reality that a reputation doesn't matter if the reality doesn't match it. And so he says, you have the reputation of being alive. And so he's talking about being spiritually alive. He says, you got the reputation of knowing me. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says, you have the reputation of knowing who I am, of being in relationship with me. And yet the reality is, is that I don't even know you. And so look with me at Matthew chapter 7, where we've heard Jesus say something very similar before. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the deceased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good, bad fruit, nor can a deceased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And then pay attention to this part here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So these are people who are going around and they're preaching, they're prophesying, they are speaking the words of God to those around them, and, and, and they're casting out demons, they are pushing back the darkness in their community, and, and yet Jesus says to these people, I never knew you. And so what we have to realize here is that it doesn't matter the things that you do if you don't actually know Jesus. Jesus. 
It doesn't matter the things that you're known for if, if your church community isn't actually in thriving relationship with Christ and growing in him. It does not matter if you are a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or if you serve in the children's ministry faithfully week in and week out. If you do all of these things faithfully and yet you have no relationship with Christ, then it doesn't matter. And so Jesus says we've got to wake up. We've got to wake up because this isn't just about a religious routine. And so there's a... There's a difference between routine and ritual. Um, and ritual in our culture has kind of gotten a bad rap as, because we've defined it as though it's the same thing as a routine. So when we hear the word ritual, we tend to think of like, okay, I have my morning ritual where I, you know, I get up at this time and then I shower and then I shave and I brush my teeth and then I get my clothes on and I'm ready to go. Um, and that's my like morning you know, ritual. That's not a ritual, it's a routine. And, and the difference between a routine and a ritual is that a ritual is meaningful and a routine is meaningless. And, and the problem that we have in our lives all too often is that some of the religious things that are meant to have meaning behind them and be more of a ritual than a routine actually end up being a routine. And so we get up in the morning and we read our Bible one chapter in the morning just like we have for the last 20 years, and then we pray for 30 to 60 seconds for our family members, and then we head out the door to work, and we do the same thing every day, day in and day out, and at some point, it lost its meaning because it just became a routine. And Jesus is saying, listen, a routine is not what I'm looking for. And, and so the difference between a routine and a ritual is that the ritual is meaningful, the routine is meaningless, and Jesus says, listen, you can preach all you want, you can pray all you want, you can read your Bible all that you want, but if it's just a routine that doesn't have any real meaning behind it, then it's completely worthless. And it doesn't get you a greater standing before God at the end of the day. And so what we proclaim here at Jeffersontown Baptist Church is not a religious routine. We proclaim a living and active faith that we trust in Christ and that our lives are daily transformed by his word. And that's why we read the Bible on a daily basis. That's why we pray together. That's why we do the things that we do, not so that we would just have a routine of good things that we do, but so that we would experience genuine and real life given to us by Christ and that we would begin to grow in Christ-likeness and do that together as a community of faith. And so we don't, just go through a routine. Sunday mornings are not a routine. Um, Cameron does not spend hours uh, praying and planning a worship service each week so that we could all get here at 1045 each Sunday and then sing a few songs, hear a little bit about the Bible, and then, you know, I've kind of got my religion for the day. Cameron and Luke and I and, and the Sunday school teachers and the deacons and the people who serve, um, 
what we want to be about as a church is we want to be about seeing people come to know Jesus and growing in faith and growing in relationships with other believers who continually point them towards Christ. And the reason we do everything that we do is so that Jesus would be lifted high, so that we would grow in him and that we would experience real, genuine, spiritual life. It's not about a religious routine. It's about life. And Jesus says, I know you've got the reputation of being alive, but in reality, you're dead, and so I need you to wake up. He says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have heard, what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. And so Jesus says that repentance and change are absolutely necessary. And, and he says that, um, that there's actually something remaining that needs to be woken up again, right? And so he says, wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die. And so the good news is, is that the church at Sardis is not dead yet. Now, he says, listen, you're, you're dying, but there's, there's a, a remainder of life, and, and it needs to be stirred up, and the flame needs to be fanned again, and, and you need to strengthen what remains. And so he says, make some changes. He says, strengthen what remains and it's about to die. So he's saying, listen, if, if you keep going down this path, then you're, you're just going to continue to die off. And, and the thing is, we know that healthy things grow and change, right? And so if we think about children, for example, um, if there's ever a point where a child is just staying exactly the same, um, then there's a problem, right? A doctor is never going to give you a good report as a parent if, if, if your child has, has not grown at all, right? There's going to be some concerning things and some, some things that the doctor's going to say, hey, listen, there's a problem here, and we need to wake up to it and address it. And it's the same thing when your child's at school. If, if, if the child is not learning and growing, then the teacher's not going to tell you they're doing great, right? They're going to tell you, there's, hey, there's some issues, and we need to wake up to this and start to work on it. And, and that's because healthy things grow and they change. And so Sometimes change is a scary thing, right? Um, I think we can all acknowledge that. Like, there's times in our lives where we experience significant changes, and sometimes it just freaks us out. And so that's why some, some people, you know, as they're approaching their wedding day, like, then they get to the wedding day, and, like, their nerves are up here, you know, when the past couple weeks they were fine, and then the day gets there, and they're like, holy cow, I'm going to be with this person for the rest of my life. <laughs> and, and that weight hits you, right? And, and so that's why some people chicken out at that moment, right? Is because the weight of what's important, the change that's about to happen, is so huge that it freaks them out and they, and they run the other way because they're afraid of that change. And, and so change can be a frightening thing. But change is also a good thing and it's a part of growth. And so as we think about our own lives spiritually and as a community of faith as Jefferson Town Baptist Church, I hope that we'll never just want to be the same that we always have been. 
Because if God is up to something, changes are going to be happening in our lives, changes are going to be happening in our church as a community of faith, and God is going to be moving and changing things, and it's going to be scary at first. Change is frightening sometimes, but it's, it's, a, it's an evidence of health and of growth and of Christ doing what he said he was going to do through his people. And so as we think about our church and about our lives, we have to think about is, is what's ahead of me, is it what Christ wants for me? And is it what Christ wants for us? And, and if it is, then, then I've got to wake up out of this lethargicness, out of this um, desire to just keep things the same because I'm scared of what's, what the future holds. He says to the church at Sardis, you've got to strengthen what remains and is about to die. And so there's, there's good things that we look at as, as a church and in our own lives. We see things that God has worked through and, and that God is going to work through. And so we pay attention to those things and we attempt to strengthen them as a community of faith. And so um, we're continually looking at the ways that we do things as a church um, through our various ministries. And so, you know, I, I wish that you could just kind of see some of the things that um, we, we talk and pray through um, in staff meetings or at church council or at the number of things um, that we do because we, we think about all these things that we have done for such a long time and we, and we say, man, look at what God has done and how incredible that is. And then we wait and hope expectantly for all that he's going to do in the future. And so we look at the things that God has been working through and we say, okay, we've got to focus our attention in there and, and work on those things. And then we look at the things um, that have just kind of been a routine and we say, hey, is there a way that we can bring meaning back to this? Is there a way that we can make this no longer just about checking a box off, but about people growing in Christ and growing in their relationships with one another and, and experiencing this kind of spiritual, robust life that brings about change and real hope. And so like the church at Sardis, we have to be willing to wake up and look at ourselves and our lives and our churches and, and respond to what Christ is saying. And he says, remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. And so he says, repent there. And, and repentance involves a turn, right? And so going back to the whole change thing. So as individuals, it means turning from our own sin and turning towards Christ. It's a literal change of direction. It's a complete 180 um, so that we turn from walking one way from walking in our own ways with our own desires and our own goals and we say I'm going to turn towards Christ and walk in his way with his goals and his desires in mind and that's what's going to shape and inform the things that I do because that's where life is and he says if you will not wake up I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. 
that's a really serious warning for those moments in life where, where we're just keeping up appearances. Christ says, I'm, I'm coming, and you can't keep up with this. And so if, if where you're at right now is, is you're content with the people around you thinking that you're just a good person who does great things, and, and then you're not willing to deal with the things that are going on at home behind the scenes, you need to hear Jesus' words today. Because being known for something is not good enough for him. It doesn't matter what you're known for if the reality is completely different under the scenes. And so if you're known for being a good husband, but at home, your wife is constantly bitter towards you because of the way that you've treated her over the years, then there's a problem and Jesus says, you've got to repent, you've got to turn from those things and turn towards me. And you've got to expose that with the light so that you can continue to grow in me. And if, if you're known for being one of the most successful people in your field and one of the most respected in your field, and yet you're doing things under the table, Jesus says, listen, I know this is what people see, but here's what I see. And, and so the thing about God is, is that there's nothing that we can hide from him. There is no recess or corner of our hearts that he does not know and that he is not willing to expose. And, and as frightening as that can be when we're stuck in our own sin and we're wanting to continue in it, as frightening as that can be, it is one of the greatest mercies of God upon your life if God shines the light into the dark spaces and exposes those things. And so like one of my prayers is, is that God would do just that for us. The, the ways in which we have a reputation where the reality does not match, I hope that God shines a light on that and helps us to turn from those things and to turn towards him and to walk in the life and the fullness of joy that can only be found in him. And I hope, I hope for that as individuals, for myself and for my family and for you guys and your families. And I, and I hope for that as a community of believers that God would do that for us because it's God loving us. And when we read passages like this where Jesus is like, I know that you have a reputation for being alive, but you're actually dead and I need you to wake up and repent. We don't like hearing those things most of the time, but it's one of the greatest ways that God loves us. When he's willing, because here's the thing that we know in our own lives is that sometimes we have difficult conversations with people that we care about because we care about them, right? And so we're willing to say difficult things, as scary as it is, to the people that we love and care for because we know that that's what's best. And Jesus does the same thing for us because he actually loves us and cares for us. And so if, here, here is the most frightening thing that you could ever experience in life, if God just lets you have what you want. If he just allows you to continue down the path that you're headed, you're in a really bad spot. But if God is merciful and gracious to you and loves you in such a way as to expose the darkness in your heart and in your life and shine a light on it so that you might turn from it and turn towards him and the grace and mercy and forgiveness that is found in him, 
that is the best place to be, as frightening as it might be for us. As scary as it is in that moment when God just outs you for your sin, that is where his mercy is found in its greatest measure, when he exposes you for who you really are. And that's exactly what he did in my life. So I I met Jesus at a time in my life where um, a relationship that I had that was very emotionally unhealthy um, and unhealthy in a number of ways, um, it had become a God in my life, not just a a good relationship, a good thing in my life, but I'd taken relationships, which can be a great thing in our lives, and I'd made it a God thing, which is always a bad thing. And, and God used this time where this relationship crumbled and the things around me in my life weren't working out the way that I thought they would to not only uh, meet me in the midst of my pain and brokenness, but to expose the evil recesses of my heart, the things that I wanted that were harmful to those around me, the things that I wanted that were just blatant rebellion against him. And he used that time in my life to just shine a light on all of it. And I'm completely different today because of him exposing me in that place, because of him shining that light on my life and saying, listen, this has been a problem for a long time and I'm not gonna take it anymore. When God shines that light into the evil places in your heart, he's doing it not so that he would frighten you, not so that he would uh, cause you to feel pain, though you'll probably experience both of those things because a lot of times that's part of change. He's doing it because he cares for you more than you could ever care for yourself and more than anyone else could. And he wants to get you from this place where you're focused on the things that you want and the way that you want to do your life and he wants to turn you a complete 180 so that you can see Christ for who he is and what he's done for you so that you can walk towards him and be walking with him. And one of the great things about what Jesus is gonna say here in a minute is that those who continue to walk with him, he's going to walk with you. Like, God doesn't just shine a light on your brokenness and your sin and the evil that needs to be kind of pruned out. He actually walks with you through it and takes you to where he wants you to go. And so look with me. He says, I'm going to come like a thief. You won't know what hour I will come against you. And so just as a side note, as we continue in our passage here, um, if anyone ever tells you that they know when Jesus is coming back, it's a complete lie and a ruse. Because Jesus says countless times that nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know when Jesus is coming to execute his final judgment and to bring those who know him into uh, eternity with him and to say to the others, I never knew you. And so one of the things that we have to recognize is that we can't know when Jesus is coming. He comes like a thief in the night. And so if you're asleep when somebody breaks into your house, it's always a surprise. Like that's never something you expected. And it's the same thing with what Jesus is saying is he's saying, listen, you're not going to expect this. And so one of the reasons that I'm spending so much time on on this portion of the passage and uh, talking about God shining his light into those dark places in our hearts and our lives is that 
it's a very serious warning when Jesus tells you, you're not going to know when I'm coming, and now's the time to repent. Now's the time to turn from yourself and your sins and to trust in Christ and his righteousness on your behalf. And, and so Jesus says, you're not going to know when I'm coming, and, and that's why I'm telling you now. That's why I'm telling you to turn towards me. And he says, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so Jesus doesn't just tell us to repent. He actually tells us what the rewards of repentance are. He tells us what the rewards of persevering in faith are. And the reward of that is eternal life and relationship with God. There's never going to be a severing of that relationship if that's the relationship in which you enter into. It's not like our relationships that we have with people around us where, um, you know, you're going to do something bad and mess it up and then it's broken. Like, the relationship that you have with God through Christ is one that doesn't end. It's one that is meant to begin when you trust in Christ and continue throughout eternity. And so you'll always be with him. He's never going to abandon you. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. And, and so there's three things that I want you guys to see here as we wrap up our time together of what Jesus is getting at in these last couple of verses. When we're in relationship with God, he gives us new clothes he puts our name on the list, and he becomes our advocate. And so Jesus says that the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. And so uh, we live about you know, 20, 25 minutes away from church, Brittany and I do, and so um, I have this special talent for spilling things on my shirt. Um, at, whether it's at breakfast or at lunch. And, and we're often here on Sundays all day long, um, you know, from church in the morning to small groups in the evenings and the time in between when we're having lunch with people and doing things and, and preparing for groups and stuff like that. And, and so, like, it ends up being a problem whenever I spill something on my shirt because then I have a soiled shirt, right? It's dirty the rest of the day. And... Um, and in that moment where my wife is completely frustrated with me because I've done it again and, um, and she's just in disbelief as to how this could possibly happen again, but that's not really the point. Um, <laughs> the point is, is that let's say that Cameron in that moment is merciful and gracious to me and just gives me one of his shirts. All of a sudden, I don't have a dirty garment anymore, right? I'm not wearing something dirty anymore. I've been given something that's completely clean and pure. And that's what Jesus is saying here is that those who walk with him will be clothed in white garments. So you no longer bear the weight and the shame from the things that you've done. Jesus says, listen, I know that you have just spilled everything 
on your whole life. Like, I know your whole outfit is just drenched and done and like, this is a bad deal. Here's new clothes. Jesus says, I know that you could never get the stains out from the things that you've done in your life, the things that have been done against you even. I know that you could never erase the stains of sin and suffering that you've been through in your life. So I'm gonna give you my clothes. I'm gonna give you my garments. I'm gonna give you white garments to wear that will never be stained by sin again. And so Jesus says one of the rewards of walking with him is new clothes. And then he he puts our name on the list. And so he says, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. And, and in, in this culture, in this time, um, the original readers would have thought about the, uh, the list that each city had of its citizens. Um, governments would keep a list of their citizens, and if they ever did anything that was punishable by death, their name would be blotted out from the registry as though they were never a part of that community. It would just be blotted out, and they would receive their punishment. And, and the Jewish people would think about um, how, especially those who had turned from their sins and trusted in Christ, um, they would have been rejected by their peers. And the synagogues had registries too. And, and so some of these Christians may have been Jewish people who had become Christians and, and their names had been blotted out um, of a book that they'd been in with their family members and their friends from the time they were like two or three years old. And, and so they would have had in their minds this idea that there's an ability to do something that is so severe that it separates me completely from the life of the community that I'm in. And Jesus says, for those who walk with him, your name is never gonna be blotted out. It's never gonna be crossed off the list. And so if you think about an exclusive event, you know, in our culture, like sometimes there's lists to get into places and to do certain things. And, and the analogy is, is that if you're with Christ, your name is always on the list. Your name, not just like, hey, he's one of mine. It's your name. Like, specifically you. He loves you in such a way as to make sure that your name is never blotted out of the book of life. He cares about you personally. And so, not just does Jesus care about his church, but he cares about each and every one that makes up that church. And so, Jesus says, listen, you get new clothes and your name is on the list. It's never gonna be blotted out. And then, finally, we have an advocate. We have a... so. Whenever people hire a lawyer, um, they need somebody who's going to fight for them, right? Because they've gotten into a spot in life where there's going to be some serious consequences if someone doesn't fight on their behalf legally and get them to a place where those consequences no longer can hurt them. And so they hire a lawyer so that the lawyer can fight on their behalf in the way that needs, it needs to be done and so that hopefully they can be acquitted or their sentence can be lessened. And so Jesus says that when you're walking with him, you have an advocate. You have no need for a lawyer anymore because you have somebody who fights for you. And so Jesus says before his father, for the one who trusts in him, 
He says, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And so he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so today the question is, does your reputation match your reality? Are you known for things that don't line up with who you actually are uh, in the deepest recesses of your heart? And, and if, if those two things are not matching up and if, if you don't know Christ, hear his words to you today, hear his offer to you today. He's offering new clothes. He's offering your name on the list. It'll never be blotted out. He's offering eternal relationship with him and he's offering to fight for you despite the things that you've done. And so Jesus is offering eternal relationship with God. That's what's on the table. And, and we need to not be blinded by our reputation. We need to make sure that the reality is where Jesus wants us. And so I don't know where you've been or where you're at today, um, but I know that the same offer the same words of rebuke and encouragement that Jesus offered to the church at Sardis are the same words that he speaks to you today, hoping and pleading with you to trust in him, to turn from your sin and trust in Christ. And if you've never done that, we would love to talk with you. We would love to pray with you and help you sort through those questions you might have and we would love to walk with you in the midst of the wrestling with okay what does it mean to trust in Christ what does it mean to walk with Christ what does it mean to be a follower of Christ and a disciple what do these things mean and we would love to pray with you and so if if that's where you're at if you would just stop me or Cameron or even I mean there's people all over this church that would love to pray with you and talk with you. And so really, you can just grab somebody next to you and say, hey, I have some questions. Can you talk with me about this? And we would love to do that because Jesus' words still speak to us today. And so would you pray with me? Jesus, we ask that you would help us to wake up to the places where change is necessary to the things that you're wanting to do in our lives. Lord, we ask for your help. Lord, we ask that you would shine the light on those darkened places in our hearts. God, that you would expose us by your mercy and grace, that we might come to know you and to grow in our relationship with you. Lord, that we would not be found sleeping when you come. Lord, that you would wake us up to the things that you're doing, to the things that you hope for us, the things that you want for us. Lord Jesus, we ask that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word. And it's in your glorious and mighty name that we pray. Amen.